Our gospel lesson tonight, as you probably saw, is Luke 10, verses uh, 38 through 42. It's the story of Mary and Martha. It's a really uh, well-known uh, little story. It's, of course, very short. Uh, there's a lot that could be said about this passage, but I want us to think for a moment uh, about those times in your life, if you've ever experienced uh, what it was to be at total and complete peace. Maybe it was a place where you were, where you were finally able to sit still and quiet and listen. I can think of several times in my life, and they all have to do with being in nature, but I remember sitting on a bluff in the desert in West Texas and the wind blowing and it being uh, just so picturesque and beautiful and being very quiet. And I remember being in the mountains in West Virginia one night where it was pitch black and you could hear the stream and the breeze and the insects, but it was so black you couldn't see anything. Uh, I, I recall one of the first vacations Beth and I ever took as a married couple. We piled in my little Ford Ranger pickup truck, the two of us, and a little dog, and we drove from Dallas, Texas to Colorado Springs and then up into the mountains and then found like this cabin and laid in this cabin with the windows open and the breeze blowing and the hummingbirds going, and we read books for like three days. It was the best vacation ever. And then we had kids, and none of them have ever been that relaxing since then. <laughs> but there are these times where when we sit still, uh, we are able then to hear and to listen um, that, that go beyond our normal lives of being hectic. And and we have in this story a, a, very human, a very human story, don't we? Jesus comes to town. He goes to the home of Martha and her sister Mary, who happen to be the sisters of Lazarus, who he later raises from the dead. And Martha is, is busy, and she wants to make sure that her guest is well taken care of, and she wants to be a good hostess. And there's nothing at all wrong with that. And so she's hustling, and she's bustling, and she's making sure everything is fine. And then she gets frustrated with her sister. Uh, sibling rivalry. Yeah, you probably have this in your home or have had it in your home when you were a child where one child screams to the parent, it's not fair, I always have to do all the work around here. To which the parent says, you have no idea what you're talking about, child. Uh, Martha is upset that Mary is, is sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him instead of helping her. And it's not that her willingness to work is a bad thing. It's not that her desire to serve her host, uh, is a, her guest, is a bad thing. Uh, the issue, uh, from Jesus' perspective, is that when I am here and when I am present, it is best to sit and listen. And he refers to this as the good portion. Mary has chosen the good portion. Uh, which will not be taken away from her. My wife will tell you that when she was a child, her father used to do these little things. And, I, and knowing her father, I think he does them on purpose. He would do something like take a sandwich and cut it almost in half, one being just a little bit bigger than the other. And he would always call the bigger half, he would call it the heavy half versus the light half. And he would lay them out and he would like to see how the children would scramble for the heavy half. And who would get the bigger sandwich? And who would get the smaller sandwich? 
And Jesus is, is talking, I think, a, a bit in those kind of terms. That if you were looking at uh, things to do and, and ways to be sustained in the service of the Lord, you, you can sort of divide that up into to portions. And while all are valuable, some are more valuable than others and at different times. And this idea of portion is an Old Testament idea, and we, we see it particularly in the Psalms. Uh, I, I'll read these to you. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. The psalmist in, in all of those psalms looks to, to God as his portion, his, his sustenance, his um, uh, uh, shelter. It's God that the psalmist is looking for to provide him with all that he needs spiritually for living in this world. And so Jesus is drawing upon this Old Testament language of portion. And he's saying to all who are there to listen that it is good to work and it is good to serve. It is better to take your portion with me and to sit in my presence and to listen because I'm not going to be here forever. And so listen while you can. And so he encourages his listeners to, to take the good portion. But that's, and that's, that's what I want to talk about this evening. What is the good portion and how do we, how do we get it? Like, how do we take the good portion? And I think we see in this story, uh, from the example of Mary, how we can do that. The first is that uh, we take the good portion when we are at leisure. Uh, leisure is not equal to laziness. Uh, there is a time to work and there is a time to put working aside. And Mary understands that when Jesus is present, when, he, when you have come into his presence, when he is with you, that is a time to stop. That is a time to sit. Now imagine what it must be like to sit at the feet of Jesus. Imagine what he would be telling you. Imagine having his authoritative and calming and loving presence there with you, teaching you all of God's wisdom and telling you all of God's plan. I imagine that you would be free from the cares of the world, at least for a little while, right? At least for a little while in the presence of Jesus. He has you thinking outside of the immediate, outside of your life, and thinking bigger about what God is doing and what he wants to do in the world. I, I think he would free us from worldly care. Uh, I think, too, that he would free us from the burden of, of service. Uh, as Christians, you know, we, we do kind of feel this burden to uphold the name of Christ well, to, to talk about him well and evangelize our neighbors, perhaps, and, and, and to be uh, the sort of Christians that, that we need to be in this world. And that comes with a certain amount of pressure, doesn't it? And it's harder and harder to speak the things of Jesus and have people actually listen. But I think that if Jesus were present with us, even that burden would seem lighter. Uh, I, I can remember as a high school student uh, playing sports, particularly this time of year as football camp is 
coming up in just a few weeks, and, and we'd have our helmets on. And I'm actually sweating right now, but it's, so this is very vivid to me. Um, I mean, we would have our helmets on, and we would be running. And, and when you're wearing a helmet and shoulder pads, and it's 90 degrees outside, like you're just a nasty, sweaty mess. And, and, and your coaches are, are running you and yelling at you, and you think, you know what, I'm, I can't do this. Like, I can't keep doing this. I'm so tired, and it's so hot, and I can't see because the sweat's running in my eyes, and it's really stinging, and I'm really uncomfortable right now. And then comes the water break. And for just 15 seconds, you get a drink of water, and you can stick your head in there, and that little bit of refreshment is enough to get you the next 45 minutes, right? I, I think that's what it would be like if Jesus were actually present with us, that we would go through our, our daily lives and you go through that grind, right? Just that grind. And it, oh, it's very mundane and it's very normal. And sometimes it's really hard. And you just want to break. And just a minute, just a minute or a few minutes, sitting with Jesus and listening to him teach and talk would be enough to get you through the next stretch until you could be back with him again. And so it's, it's leisure and it's rest to be with Jesus. And, and I imagine, too, that as we sat with him, uh, we, he would talk about his work for us. He would talk about what he did on the cross for us and how, how that work is finished and there's nothing left to be done. And he would talk about how his work was accepted by the Father. And if we, by faith, uh, live into and trust in his work, we're accepted by the Father. He would talk about how it's effectual for all time. He would, how, how he died once for all. And that sacrifice was, was finished and there's nothing else left that needs to be done. And that salvation and justification is given to us. And it will carry us through even the process of sanctification, of becoming more like Him. And it will always be effectual. Because He probably would know that it's very easy for us to, to fall into a, a trap where we think that, that even though we're saved by faith alone, I have to keep doing good works to sort of keep myself in a, in a state of grace. Right? I have to keep doing the good stuff or somehow the, the righteousness of Christ will leave me and somehow he'll, he'll be mad at me. And what Jesus would tell us if he was sitting with us in the room is he would say to you, the grace that saved you is the same grace that's going to carry you. Like you're always in my grace if you've accepted me as your Savior. And, he, and all of that, from all of that, would just this overflow of, of perpetual and priceless blessing. I think that's what it would be like if we actually got to sit in the presence of Jesus right now. It reminds me of, of, of Romans 8.32 where Paul says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for, for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I think if we were able to sit with Jesus as Mary did, we would know that all things have been promised to us and it would give us the refreshment we needed to go forward. And so we can rest in Christ. No, he's not here with us in the same way that he was with Mary and with Martha and with his disciples. He's, it's not the same. And yet it is kind of the same, isn't it? The Holy Spirit is present with us now. We come together to hear from his word and to hear from the table and to, to, to sense the presence of the Holy Spirit as he moves among us and talks through, our, through one another and through scripture and through the table. And so we can uh, take our leisure. We can take leisure and we can rest and it's okay. And there is a time to take that leisure in the presence, in the presence of Christ. We think sometimes that when we come together for church that we are escaping reality, right? 
that, that somehow reality is what I do Monday to Friday. That's like the real world. This is what I do to escape the real world. I, I think that's false. I think it's when we come here in the presence of Jesus that we actually enter the only reality that really counts for eternity. Uh, we sit uh, and we worship together in the presence of our Lord. And we take our leisure and allow him to feed us and allow him to strengthen us. And we can delight in that. Because this, when we're together, worshiping together, uh, this is the only reality that actually carries us day to day. This is where we meet our Creator. And so we come in leisure to sit at the feet of Jesus. And we also come in lowliness. Mary uh, sat at the feet of Jesus. She didn't sit on a stool or a chair or, or stand. She sat at His feet. And I think there's a sign there of, of humility. Instead of feeling harried and rushed, like she has to do something, she really feels free to just sit at Jesus' feet. And she can do that, I think, because she comes to Jesus in three different ways. She comes to Jesus first as a penitent. She comes as a person who is acknowledging her own unworthiness. Romans 3, Paul says it very starkly and strongly. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is one of the starkest and harshest descriptions of humanity that I think we'll find. And yet, that's the reality of who we are without Christ. And so we come to Jesus as a penitent person, a repentant person, knowing full well that we are not actually worthy to be there. And yet, we come knowing that we're welcome and we can sit and we can be healed. And so we come as penitent people. We also come as disciples. We come as people who confess their ignorance that we are students who need a teacher. We don't know everything there is to know. We typically make mistake after mistake in our own lives. And a bunch of us together typically make really big mistakes together. And so we come to Jesus as a disciple needing to be taught and so there, again, is a, is a kind of humility. First, it's a, a penitent repentance, knowing that we're not even worthy to be there, but that we're welcome there. Uh, we come as a disciple knowing that we are actually ignorant of spiritual things. And we need to hear from God uh, what he wants to tell us. Uh, but that humility, we need not take those two points of being both penitent and, and being a disciple and think that that means that we are somehow horrible and unlovable. Uh, we are still uh, fun-loving and, and, and capable people. So we don't have to constantly look at ourselves and navel-gaze and beat ourselves up. We simply need to uh, accept the fact that we're in need of repentance. Uh, I love this story about humility. I don't even know how it fits in the sermon, but I find it funny, so I'm going to tell you. Uh, Henry Augustus Rowland was a physics uh, professor at John Hopkins University. He was once called as an expert witness at a trial, and during cross-examination, a lawyer demanded of him, what are your qualifications as an expert witness in this case? 
the normally modest and retiring professor replied quietly, I am the greatest living expert on the subject under discussion. Later, a friend well acquainted with Roland's disposition and expre expressed surprise at the professor's uncharacteristic answer. Roland answered, well, what do you, did you expect me to do? I was under oath. <laughs> the point is that we, we can come as students. That doesn't mean that we have to always view ourselves as, as unlovable and incapable. Uh, we are given gifts by God. We are his creation. We are made in his image. So this humility, this sense of penitence, this sense of needing to learn, uh, we should not allow that to, go, to degrade how we view ourselves as human beings who are loved by God. But we also need to face into the reality that we are sinners and that we are ignorant. We, we need to, I think, have the attitude of George Washington Carver, the scientist who developed hundreds of useful products from the peanut, from, from George. When I was young, I said to God, God, tell me the mystery of the universe. But God answered, that knowledge is reserved for me alone. So I said, God, tell me the mystery of the peanut. And then God said, well, George, that's more nearly your size. And he told me. Uh, we need to approach God in a sense of awe. Uh, knowing that his ways are not our ways, that he is above us and greater than us, and that we have much to learn from what he would tell us. And so we approach as a penitent, we approach as a disciple, but we also reproach, approach as a, as a receiver, as someone who is empty. That we approach as someone who, when it comes to holiness and righteousness and, and, and our salvation, we have nothing to offer. We have nothing to offer. We come only as a beggar who needs a crust of bread. And we find in Jesus, the one who fills all. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we think or ask, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is that they would come to Christ and come to understand him in such a way that he would fill them because he fills all things. And so when we want to, to, to gain the, the good portion, to choose the good portion, we, we must come in a lowliness and humility as a, as a penitent and as a disciple and as a receiver. And of course, this makes perfect sense if we accept what Scripture says about who we are, that we are, that we are sinners who don't seek after God. If, if, if we accept that He expects holiness from us, and yet we are incapable of accomplishing it, when we accept that, that the Lord is holiness and, and is our righteousness, and when we accept that He wants to give all that to us, it makes perfect sense to approach Him as a penitent and as a disciple and as a receiver offering nothing to him, but taking all that he can give us as we sit in leisure at his feet. And we listen. We listen, don't we? Mary sat at his feet and she, she listened to what, she, to what Jesus had to say. 
And if she had not been at leisure to sit, if she had not approached him in a lowly manner and chosen to sit at his feet, she would not have heard what he had to say. And we can hear what Christ has to say, what God has to say to us in his word. We hear what he has to say to us in creation about himself and about his glory and about his love of of order and his love of beauty and his love of of vitality and, and his love of difference and his love of color and his love of weather, even hot weather and the really cold weather when it's negative 22 and your ears freeze off when you walk outside. Um... Remember that day when, when, you know, think of this day when it's negative 22. Um, But we see all these things. And we can hear something about who God is and what he wants from us. But we also need to listen uh, in Scripture, uh, most most certainly and, and foremost in Scripture. But we don't just need to listen to the words. We also need to listen to the tone and the accents of Jesus. Because Jesus speaks sometimes very harshly. He speaks very strongly and he speaks of death and condemnation, but he also speaks a lot of love and of grace. You, you may recall months ago now we were preaching, a, uh, I, I was preaching a sermon in, in Matthew, and it's where Jesus calls Matthew and, and, and to be his disciple, and Matthew invites him to his house, and he invites all of his sinner friends over to have a meal with Jesus. And the Pharisees start criticizing Jesus for, for eating with, with sinners. And Jesus says, you know, I didn't come to save the healthy, but the the sick. And these folks are sick, and they need a healer, and so I'm here to be with them. You may recall that story. Uh, Sometimes we read a story like that, and and we come to it with our own preconceptions. And we don't really really want to hear the grace and the mercy that is in that. As I was preparing for that sermon months ago, I remember reading one commentator who said, well, of course we know that the only reason Jesus would ever sit with sinners is because he knew they would repent. You see, that isn't actually what the text says. The text says that Jesus sat with sinners because he loved them, no matter what they were going to do. But sometimes we, we can't hear the tone of Jesus. We can't hear the accent of Jesus. And so we want, to, we want to put on him our own conceptions. Like Jesus would never just love sinners. He would expect them to repent. Well, that's, that's not what this says. And I'm, I'm not saying that there isn't repentance expected ultimately and desired ultimately. I'm simply saying that Jesus chooses to love people where they are. And so we have to listen to that, that tone and that accent as we read Scripture And we try to learn who Jesus is. We listen to him. We study him. We make Jesus the center of of our thought life. And we don't allow our own obtrusive and non-biblical and non-thoughtful ideas to, to press in on top of that. We have to hear what Jesus says about himself. And when we listen, when we listen well, we find ourselves able to sit and put all our cares at ease. We find ourselves able to rest at his feet. And then finally, we find ourselves in possession of the good portion, the thing that cannot be taken away from us. Mary obtained her Lord, his love, his presence, his word, his fellowship, and she sat there in full enjoyment to delight her soul uh, with that which she had so joyfully come to know. And it was something that she could never be that can never be taken from her. Jesus had said to Martha, Martha, there's only one thing that is necessary. It's the good portion. It's the sitting at my feet 
and letting me speak into your life. And because of the Lord's promises, because she could sit in leisure as a disciple, as a penitent, and as a, as a listener, she could sit at his feet and be assured of those promises. Uh, and, and, and there would be no cold words from her Lord. There would be no harshness for, for the one who comes to, to sit at his feet. There would be no uh, angry accusations from her jealous and angry siblings when, when she sits at the feet of, of Jesus. He, he doesn't allow people um, to unfairly criticize those who rely on him. Uh, he gives them confidence and he gives them strength. Uh, he, by sitting at Jesus' feet, we learn that, that we're free from any future affliction. We're free from uh, the necessity to follow after any temptation. We can actually walk away from temptations when we sit at his feet long enough and hear his words to us, his words of grace, and let those transform us. And we learn that we're free. We're free from the law, and we're also free from sin. And we're free to simply be a follower of Jesus Christ and to let him speak into our lives. And there is nothing that can take us out of that, not even death. And so, I ask you tonight to imagine again with me what it must be like to sit in the presence of Jesus and to hear Him speak those words of comfort, to hear Him tell you again and again that His work for you is done and it is complete. And you can simply rest in Him because what you find when you rest is the good portion that will never, ever be taken from you. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear this truth. Uh, make us a people who crave to follow you, who crave to sit at your feet, to hear from you, to find more of you, and to love you. And thank you, Father, that you first loved us. And we ask all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.